Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. You're listening to DraftKings Network. This is the GM Shuffle. This is the business we've chosen. I don't know how this public display of we're getting screwed. I would pay Austin Eckler more than I would pay Keenan Allen. I would pay Josh Jacobs more than I would pay Hunter Renfro. But I may be the exception. To me, that's where the league is. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos. Michael, training camp is underway. We've seen teams. The Jets, Michael, are expected to practice later on today. A lot going on. A lot going on on the football timeline, man. The running back discourse. We've been talking about this, feels like, all throughout the offseason. And it really came to a head this week after the franchise tag deadline came and went with no running backs reaching long-term extensions. Well, look, you know, we've talked about it at length, at nauseum. I mean, that's really just simply the law of supply and demand. I mean, that's really what it is. And, you know, Barkley was offered according to sources, a good contract that he turned down. I mean, he was offered more security, more guaranteed dollars that he didn't feel was worth it, so he turned it down. But let's not minimize, so we don't know exactly what it was. Was mm-hmm. it 13 a year? Was it 12 and a half a year? Where would that have placed him? I don't know. Josh Jacobs is sitting in the parking lot hoping to close the gap. Yeah. You know, hoping to get a deal done. So for all the talk about nobody wants to sign running backs, I mean, this is really a talk about negotiations. This is a talk about, you know, the clubs were trying to sign the players. Maybe they weren't offering what the player felt he was worth, but it wasn't like they stuck their nose in the air and said, well, we're not interested in talking to you. Like, let's temper that a little bit. Like, it's not always the clubs the villain here. Well, I think the interesting side of it, and, and it's really fascinating, because I think as somebody who bets on sports, I always think about what's the price on something. Like, if you're going to tell me before the season starts, the Kansas City Chiefs are minus 200 to win the Super Bowl, no, I don't want to bet them. That doesn't mean I don't think they're a good team, but I don't want to bet them at that price. If you're going to give me 20 to 1, yeah, I'll bet them at that price. Like, I think the issue that we have here with this running back conversation is that it's not the players, like you mentioned, they want to sign these guys, it's the price. What is the price of this? Do I have to pay him $15 million? No, I don't want to have to pay him $15 million a year. If I can get him at 10, all right, I'll do it. Or if I can get him at 12, maybe I'd do it. I think that's where I think we're getting lost in all of this. Like, like Price matters. Like Just like how we have in betting, price matters. Price matters in contract negotiations when you have a salary cap sport like the NFL. Right. And look, 
you know, this, you know, we're treating this like we're in the carp. They're in the carpenters union, right? When you're in the carpenters union, you get paid as an apprentice carpenter, uh-huh. and then when you become a full fledged carpenter, then you have a, then your price goes up per hour, right? Yep. You know, and then the union negotiates a scale for you. I mean, like we're treating this like they're in, like they're in a price fix conversation. I mean, if they would do a deal and get that deal into the pool, maybe the franchise number would go up. I, I think this. I think the pro- there's twofold problems. There's a high level of supply and demand, mm-hmm. and the lifespan for running backs because of the the the, the dangers that go into playing the position in terms of the wear and tear, which people are kind of reducing more by going with two backs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the longevity of a runner doesn't last. I mean, as great, and I love Zeke Elliott as a player. I thought yeah. he was dynamic, explosive, but, you know, he he declined dramatically so that you're like, wait a minute, what happened to him? And, you know, that's just the business, as Hyman Roth said, this is the business we've chosen. I don't know how this this crying to the media, this this public display of we're getting screwed, look, I think I've been really clear. I would pay Austin Eckler more than I would pay Keenan Allen. Mm-hmm. I would pay Josh Jacobs more than I would pay Hunter Renfro. I, I, I've been clear about that. But I may be the exception. But to me, that's where the league is. That's where the league is. There's 18 receivers that make over $18 million per year. Do I think all of them are worth it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But the market dictates that. And we're in a capitalistic system. Now... Here's where I will say that I think they are getting a little bit screwed and where I have sympathy for these guys. Here, here's the pushback. Well, yeah, here's well, no. the attorney. Well, I love the attorney. <laughs> yes, yes, counselor. Go ahead. No, you have the, the, floor, the, the, wig, is, the wig. The wig isn't on, but here's what I'll say. Their prime years, they're not able to maximize the amount of dollars that they could possibly make because of the rookie wage scales. And that was implemented in the 2011 CBA when rookies no longer would have those big contracts to where before they even step foot on an NFL field, they're paying at a top five of the salary or a top two position in the salary. We saw quarterbacks used to get monstrous $50 million contracts or so before they even played. I do think for running backs, because you get worse with age really quickly, I do have sympathy the fact that where it's like, okay, you're at your peak at age 22, 23, 24, and you're slotted in at a fixed rate that you cannot negotiate. And then when you actually do hit the market, well, I mean, you have five years under your belt and you're a little bit beat up, so we don't really want to pay you. That, to me, I think is the unfair part, just from like a human standpoint. Like, you would have to fix the CBA, which I don't think is going to happen just for one position. But I do feel for them on that regard of like, damn, that does suck that your prime years, you have actually no leverage because your contract is already fixed. You want to see, run, you want to, you want to see a system where no running backs ever get picked in the first round? And institute that policy where you have to pay it back a higher rate if you draft them in the first round. You want to see you want to see their you want to see that go away. Well, you want to see that go completely well, in the trash. Well, what There'll if they can no hit running backs? What pick. if they can hit the market after two years instead of after four? Then how come you running backs going to be able to hit the market? And what about a defensive lineman? How but, is but, that but, fair? But that's it's what I'm a saying. Collective though. bargain. But that's what I'm saying. It's like it, I, but I, you got to collectively. You, you can't collectively bargain for one position. No. It's like okay, the centers in the NBA should become free agents after a year. No, what, what what I'm saying is that like if you had all positions able to do it, then it would actually be a true free market. But it's not a true free market because. You can't hit free agency until you've played X amount of years. That's that's where I have the sympathy because can't, it, can't it hurts it running back the most. Years, which, yeah, but it also – but look, as long as you have a cap, right, mm-hmm. and if you hit the market after two years, the players don't even know what they're worth after two. How many times has a player signed a contract, you know, early in his career that ends up being a disaster for him because the market overvalues him? The market runs away from him. How many times has that happened? where you sign early after two years or three years, and all of a sudden that contract's no longer really good. I mean, look at Mike Evans. Mike Evans, is, Mike Evans isn't in the top 18 contracts right now. He signed it before the market exploded. It's like buying a house. You know, sometimes you buy a house before the market explodes. Sometimes you buy a house in the middle of the market. I don't know how to solve the problem. And especially as long as there's a, there's a constant pool of running backs coming that are equipped to catch and run. You know, this is not a college football era where we're running mm-hmm. the wishbone and we're running the wing tee. This right. is a college where spread and the backs are catching the ball. So, you know, I just think to me it's I don't know what to do. But let's put it in, let's put it in perspective. For all this talk about how sad it is, Joe Mixon took a pay cut. 
Mm-hmm. Aaron Jones took a pay cut, right? Those are two really good players. They took pay cuts because I think they were aware of the market. Like I, you can't change markets. But you could say, oh, well, it's unfair. Our stock's not valued enough. What can I tell you? Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I, in the, under the current cap and CBA constrictions, I agree with you. Like, there's really nothing that you can do. I just was more so speaking of, like, a if, if this were some sort of, like, magic wand scenario to where it's like, hey, you could get as fair a market as possible, it would be being able to hit the market whenever you want. Because people I know a lot oftentimes compare it to other jobs. Like, if you get a job, yeah, you might have a contract, but you can go take another job elsewhere after a year or after 18 months. You can't do that in the NFL, especially if you're a good player. Like, if you're a first-round running back, you get drafted, you lead the league in rushing, guess what? You have no right to negotiate a higher contract, and the team is not going to cut you because they think you're a really good player. So I think that's where – but, like, that's right. just the but CBA the that's been collectively union, bargained. But the players' union was tired of watching rookies get the money that the veterans should have gotten. Exactly. And, and so they changed the system for the good. And it's and it's it's an earned system. You know, it's an earned system. The problem is there's no tolerance for teams to want to pay a, a a higher level towards their cap of that position because it requires two, right? It requires two players. And mm-hmm. you don't want to have to invest that because you need to invest in it. It's choices. It comes down to choices. And when it comes down to choices, it comes back to supply and demand. It's that simple. It's that simple. Would I pay Josh Jacobs? Absolutely. Yeah. Would I have? Do I think Eckler's worth more? Eckler at six and a half million to Keenan Allen's twenty million is ridiculous. I like Keenan Allen. He's a nice player. He's not a number one receiver. Christian Kirk making eighteen million is not a number one. I would pay ATN before I pay Kirk. But some teams choose to go the other way. Saquon Barkley. I was a little surprised, Michael, Monday afternoon when the Giants did not reach an agreement with him. And I know that's something that we talked about. All We thought, hey, the Giants, they like to pay their guys. They're going to get this done. He'll be, get his contract. We don't have to worry about this. Well, the deadline came and passed, and Saquon Barkley is still on the franchise tag, not being able to reach that long-term extension. Here's what he had to say about a week ago on the Money Matters podcast about what kind of leverage he could possibly have here in this contract negotiations. You want me to show you my work? You want to show you how much how valuable I am to the team? I won't show up. Right. I won't play it down. And that's a that's a that's a that's a play I can use. Do I anybody knows me, knows that's not something I want to do. But like it's something that has it something that crossed my mind. It's like I has never to. I never thought I would ever do that, but like now I'm in a point where it's like, oh, Jesus, like I, I might have to take it to this level. And like, am I willing, am I prepared to take it to the level? I don't know. He's not missing games when you hear that. <laughs> well, I mean, like he's not doing. It's, it's like it's like when when Tony Soprano said in season two to Vin, the detective, "You're not doing charity work here, Vin. You're getting paid for this, right? You know, like he's not doing charity work for the Giants. Like he's getting paid ten million a year, you know. And when he only played in two games after he got hurt, they still had to pay him. Like he's not being he's not being not offered. Look, the Giants are for the first time in a long time, exercise discipline. But they did offer him a, a, a contract. He just didn't think it was what he was worth, right? And, and he's entitled to that. He's entitled to that. Mm-hmm. But the rules of engagement, this is the business we've chosen, says either you want to play for $10 million or you don't. And this notion of I'll show you how valuable I am, you are valuable to the team. But you know what we learned? That the Michigan-Ohio State game in the year 2050 sold out. And the kids that are going to play in the game aren't even born yet. Football will go on. Le'Veon Bell tells you that. Football's going to go on. You want to miss a year? Go ahead. Miss a year. We'll treat it like an injury. And we've got to find another back. And you know what? The Giants will continue to be the Giants, with or without Barkley. That's unfortunate what it is. They're still the Giants without Phil Simms, without Lawrence Taylor. Like, you're not the only player who has not played for the Giants. Life goes on. Also, the way he's couching that statement. I mean, he wants to play football. <laughs> he's going to play. Give me a break. <laughs> he's like, it's he's all like, PR. He's like, he's like I, I never wanted PR. to do this. Yeah, because we know you love football, Saquon. Like, you're going to play. We'll see you week one. But we're not going to see you during training camp. We'll get to some other news and notes around training camp. My Dallas Cowboys now have a contract issue going on. Michael, what the hell's going on at the start? We'll discuss it next year on the GM Shuffle.
The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Uh, you know, I forgot to mention this off the top, Michael, here, but this will be our final episode of the Literature and Leadership Series that we've got going on in the yeah. offseason now that football is really starting to crank up. We're going to have Chad Q. Brown, the CEO of Profile, which profiles a lot of athletes and, and leaders and kind of helps these teams really gain an insight into who these guys are as people and also gain an insight of who the leaders are, who the coaches are, because I think that's the cool part about Profile, and we'll talk about it with Chad coming up here in this next segment, yeah. is that, hey, like, leaders uh, should also be taking these assessments get all the as guests. Well. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we couldn't get all the guests in that we wanted to, and certainly next offseason we will for sure. Mm -hmm. Because uh, I think we've proven that there is an appetite for yeah. having different kind of guests that can apply to leadership. And I'm really excited about it. And we can build on something uh, as we experiment. I was, uh, uh, you know, it, it was something that was an idea. And as you work your way through it, you find ways to enhance it. So hopefully next year it'll be even better. I'm looking forward to talking to Chad, too, because profiling and understanding who you are as a leader Mm -hmm. I think it's really important. You know, one, that was one of the things I we wrote about for the Daily Coach this week about Vince Lombardi when he was leaving when he was leaving Fordham as an assistant to go to West Point to work for Earl Red Blake, uh, Colonel Blake, and uh, you know he really really wanted to ask himself, who am I as a leader? What kind of leader am I? And that fundamental question, how he answered that, was ultimately what he decided to become when he walked on that campus. So, and Chad can help, help all leaders do that. Yeah, no, I think it's really cool. And like, we've seen teams and we'll get into it with Chad, but like a lot of teams actually use his profile, the assessments that they have over there to try to gain some sort of an edge. My Dallas Cowboys, they use it and help them go ahead and draft Dak Prescott, which I think is really cool. We'll get into all those notes with Chad coming up here in just a little bit, but we're seeing one leader in the NFL leave, and I think good riddance, I believe. The fans in D.C. are saying this. I think the fans <laughs> of the football world are saying this. Daniel Snyder is officially, not officially, I guess until later this afternoon, but it's going to be made official as the NFL owners are meeting in Minneapolis to approve the sale of the commanders to Josh Harris, $6 billion. We're expecting this to come down later on this afternoon. And it's funny that this is taking place in Minnesota because this is probably, Michael, the biggest day in the commanders fans since they won the Super Bowl 26 over the Buffalo Bills, which also took place in Minneapolis as well, which is funny, just kind of the ties go to Minnesota yeah. there for the Washington franchise. But it's now official. Stan Snyder is out. And Josh Harris, your guy from the Philadelphia 76ers, will be taking over as the majority owner of the commanders. You know, it's kind of funny how symbolical things become in sports, right? You know, when they had when Yogi Berra finally returned to Yankee Stadium after his departure because of being fired, uh, they they honored him, and Don Larson was on the mound that day. It kind of recreated the perfect game, and lo and behold, Do David Cohn throws a no hitter that day. Throws a perfect <laughs> game that day. Like, yeah. I mean, how, what are the odds of that ever happening, right? What it's are the insane. odds that the meeting was scheduled for Minneapolis and that's the last time Washington fans experience joy? But today's joy is legitimate, right? Yeah. 
Today's joy is legitimate. I mean, we've seen what a bad owner does for sports. We've seen what a guy's ego, a narcissistic behavior does to teams. Uh, Jay Gruden was quoted the other day as saying that, you know, he wanted to do everything. He didn't listen to anybody. And, you know, he didn't put the work or the time in. And his hiring decisions were, you know, I mean, he inherits a team in 99 that goes to a playoff game. And then he fires Norv. You know, it puts Terry Robisky in there, and then he hires Marty Schottenheimer, gives him one year and fires him, and then hires Steve Spurrier, gives him two years. You know, and then he brings Joe Gibbs back to win some favor for four years, and Gibbs goes to the playoffs twice, and then he hires Jim Zorn. You know, and then all along the way, he's got Vinny Serrato as his henchman, and then he gets tired of Vinny, and then he hires, you know, Shanahan and brings in the punter to hire, you know, and <laughs> Shanahan – Kind of works there, hires him for four years, go to a playoff once, fires him, puts Gruden in with the punter, then gets tired of the punter, and then hires then hires uh, Ron Rivera. I mean, it really is a a thirty for thirty on how to destroy a franchise. Yeah, and it's it was a proud franchise. I always talk about when I was a kid, those Cowboys Washington games. There were just like there were massive moments because it's like oh, this is a historic rivalry. Both franchises well run, and now it's kind of been subject to the the early window on a random Sunday in October. You know, it's like it doesn't feel big anymore because yeah. of what Daniel Snyder's done to this organization and what he's done to a really proud fan base. I know we have some younger viewers and, and listeners here to the podcast. Like, if you don't understand, like, the like the 70s, the 80s, especially in the 80s and the early 90s, what this franchise meant to the NFL and to where now it's been cast off as just this random just incompetent franchise like this was a very proud franchise and a very proud fan base that I think can be reignited with new ownership and if Josh Harris is able to kind of get this thing going in a positive direction but they have a lot of work to do based on what Snyder's done over the past two plus decades yeah the, Josh Harris isn't just going to turn the key and just change everything right mm. there, there's a, there's a culture that has resided out at Ashburn at, at Washington Commander Park now, what it's called, the facilities, the lack of attention to detail. People have been in this environment. I mean, this is really, truly uh, almost they're going to have uh, a way of how do you get them out of this environment? How do you cure them? I mean, it's a little bit like going through a traumatic experience. You just don't mm. assume because you're no longer in that traumatic experience, everything's going to be fine. And if I were Josh Harris, you know, what I would do is close ranks. I would really spend a lot of time trying to study the people in the building, you know, trying to learn as much as I can. Most people, when they take over an organization, they have this 100-day plan, which to me is not worthwhile because you don't really understand what the magnitude of the problems to make a plan. So what you really need to do is take 100 days and look backwards, and try to figure out what is really wrong here. Now, the problem he's going to come into is the league office is going to want to feel intimately involved and tell him what he needs to do, tell him who to hire, tell him what to do. They want to run the team. and They don't know. They don't know anything about football to run a team. They'll put people in place so they can get the votes that they need at the next meeting. And Josh Harris has to understand that you know, he's going to have to run his team and see things for his own way, much like Robert Kraft learned that, much like Jerry Jones has learned that, much like Al Davis tried to tell everybody that. Is Rivera on the hot seat now that there's a new owner? I mean, look, you know, Bill Belichick's on the hot seat, but Ron Rivera's not. Nick Saban's legacy is in, t is in jeopardy. That's stake. But, you know, Ron Rivera's safe, right? Yeah, Jimbo Fisher's safe, too, down at A&M, you know? I mean, can you imagine that ridiculous headline, <laughs> Nick <laughs> Saban's legacy, Finch, Finch Bomb. Is that how you say his name, fine, Finch fine Bomb? Fine Bomb. <laughs> fine Bomb. Fine Bomb. I mean, like, seriously, I mean, come up with something better than that, Paul. I mean, really, you know, you're making a lot of money at the worldwide leader. Come up with a better thing than just saying that. A guy has won and dominated college football for as much as he has and say after one season he doesn't get to the Final Four, his legacy? I mean, come on, please. Legacy is I mean, at it stake. it just tells you you have an agenda. Like, you have an agenda. Like, you have a complete agenda. And, and, and you may not like Nick. That's fine. But don't mm. let the agenda rub into it. You know, for Rivera, I mean, look, I think everybody in Washington knows they're going to have to win. You know, they got they have a team that's capable of winning. You know, how they fix the offense, the defense greatly improved last year, especially on third down, especially in the red zone. They got to fix the offensive line and they've got to get the quarterback to play at a high level. And, you know, this gives 
to me, this gives Eric Bieniemy a great platform to basically say, okay, you don't want to hire me as a head coach? Here's what I'm going to do as an offense coordinator, and I think you're going to regret it. Mm-hmm. We'll see what he does. Yeah, especially if he gets a really good season out of Sam Howell. Like, because the, the knock on Bieniemy is like, well, he's under Andy Reid. He has Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the league. If he gets Howell to play well, there's, we're running out of excuses to not give Eric Bieniemy a head coaching job. We'll see what they can do this season. Washington's direct rival, though, the Dallas Cowboys, I thought all was gravy heading into training camp, Michael. I was like, all right, training camp, as long as nobody gets hurt, we can get to the season, we're off and running. Well, Zach Martin, their all-pro guard, best guard in football for my money, wants a new contract and reportedly might not show up for training camp. Do you think Dallas gets something done with him right up to camp, or this, does this kind of spill into August with Zach Martin clearly unhappy? Well, I, I think this. I, I think at some point, you know, when you look at it, and you examine it, you have to You have to constantly, as an executive in the league, you have to constantly evaluate where you are. I, I think that's one of the things you have to do all the time. You just can't say, okay, we paid you last year, we're not paying you this year. You know, Zach Martin's at, at $14 million a year. Chris Lindstrom, who just got paid, you know, by the Falcons, is at averages $20 million a year, you know. So Wyatt Teller at Cleveland just got 14.2. So there's a lot of positions that I think you have to do it. And certainly the Cowboys are smart enough to be proactive in this area. Uh, I I can't imagine they wouldn't do something here. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine they wouldn't because they need to. You know, Quentin Nelson's at 20. You know, Elgin Jenkins from the Packers is at 17. Batano at Cleveland's at at 16. Joe Tooney's at 16. Lakeland Tomlinson, he's at 13.3. I mean, so I think you, you have to say, okay, look, I get this. We have to fix this problem and try to work around it. But you do have a contract. But I think one of the things in this this era we live in is contracts, because the market keeps going away from the players, you're either going to have an unhappy player and address it, or you're going to have to understand how to address it in terms of the way you restructure. Yeah, because the cap is going to continue to rise. I mean, all the, the TV deals, the – the, the YouTube TV deal with Sunday Ticket, like everything is going up astronomically. Yeah. So these guys are going to want to get paid their value. And if you're Zach Martin, I could see why you look at those lists of guys who are ahead of you. It's like, dude, I'm better than all of those guys, and they're making more money than me. What the hell's going on here? And especially, I think, I think right. he has and, no and guarantees. I would, rather overpay Zach, I would rather overpay Zach Martin than pay you know a ba- an average player too much. I mean, yeah. that's the reality. You can never overpay a great player. But when you overpay an average player – the Giants overpaying Daniel Jones. That mm-hmm. creates a problem. You can say whatever you want about Daniel Jones. He's not a top five or top ten quarterback in the league. You paid him like one. There's ripple effects of that. When you overpay average, you get in trouble. When you overpay great, nobody questions you. The problem is figuring out what's good and what's great. That's the bigger issue. We have a hard time with that. Well, what do you think of the Steelers paying Alex Highsmith four years, $68 million as like that secondary pass rusher to TJ Watt on the other side? I thought he, you know, I mean, he's been impressive. Every every game that I watch on the kid, he's improved from his rookie season to now. You know, I think he's done a really good job, and he fits their defense, and they know him. You know, they know him. They know exactly what they're going to get. I think the Steelers have always done a good job of who they pay and who they don't pay. I think they're really honest with their own evaluations. Yeah, they paid Alex Highsmith. They didn't pay Bud Dupree, and Dupree now is on team, like, what, two after he left the Steelers a couple of years ago. All right, on the other side, we continue literature and leadership, our final literature and leadership episode of the offseason. Chad Q. Brown, CEO of Profile, joins us next here on the GM Shuffle. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. 
Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. All right, we're wrapping up our literature and leadership series here today, and we have a fun guest planned for you guys here. Chad Q. Brown is the CEO of Profile, and his company does these assessments that help us understand leaders and understands the people who they do lead. Chad, we appreciate you joining us here on the GM Shuffle. How are we doing? I'm doing well. Appreciate you guys having me. Excited. Yeah, Chad, I, I know I was introduced to you by the great Buzz Williams, the head basketball coach down at Texas A&M, and Buzz spoke very highly of you, and he went through the assessment. So why don't you share with us kind of what you bring to the table in terms of evaluating leaders and evaluating players as you kind of craft a team together to help the coaches and help everyone in the organization understand what they're dealing with? Sure. I appreciate that. Uh, the assessment world is something that's been around a long time. And you guys uh, heard of Myers-Briggs and, you know, there's a lot of cool assessments out there. The corporate world's been using them a long time, um, but the sports industry had not. And really, I thought I think the technology was behind. Uh, you couldn't send it to a kid's phone and do it fast. So that's what Profile and our company has built through the years. But because we've been able to, to do it with speed and work with the NFL Combine and the the NBA teams and the you know we've seen so many over a decade. We've learned it, it really helps those assessments help you see things that you can't normally see with the individual. You can see behavior, you can see what they care about. Meaning, like, is it is it family? Is it helping people? Is it money? Is it adventure? Um, are are people motivated to lead? Are people not motivated to lead? Things like that is what our the assessment world can do. And we you know we use a three you know, a quick three battery assessment that's really fun and fast because it has to be in the world of sports. But going back to leadership, I like this exercise and any of the listeners can try it. Uh, I think you guys could, could try it. Is if I were to ask you guys who the best leader is you've ever been around in your life. Okay, think about that. From when you were young to now, who's the best leader? And I had each of you guys describe why. Why was that person? the best leader for you in your life. What, when we do that exercise with uh, football teams, basketball teams, corporate America, you know, person A may say, well, you know, it was my dad. He was really tough on me, held me accountable. Mm-hmm. Person B, well, she may say, well, it was actually my grandmother. She uh, really cared about me and loved me. We had a difficult home. Uh, person C may say, hey, it was my youth baseball coach. And, and you know, they were really a good teacher and there were details. The point and the moral of the exercise is the room says so many different things. What do you get out of that exercise? Leadership is hard. People need different things. And when you know that a certain personality type, behavioral style, we like that term better, maybe this person needs to be spoken to more directly. This person is an overthinker. They're really, they need details but maybe your style is more loose and fun if it's, it's like speaking a different language sometimes, but we don't know. And so the assessment world, you know, our tools, but I, I really believe in a lot of assessments, just use something because it really can show you what you can't see with people and in developing leaders. If you know what people need, but then you can show like what's hard for the individual. They can really be better to me. The best leaders are the people that can do can behave in a certain way that's hard for them. For example, if I'm an introverted style, but I was, you know, I'm the head, I'm the head coach in the Big Ten, and I'm not a great public speaker, but I know I've got to speak to boosters. I know I've got to do um, speaking engagements. I've got to inspire my team. Well, it's not easy for me. How do I get better at that? It's just awareness, and the, and the assessment land, um, I believe, can really be an awesome tool for leaders and young people to see those things and just kind of, it's kind of an aha moment. Like I never thought about it that way. I, I think it's really cool. And, and Chad, he's worked with a number of NFL teams, 
college teams, football, basketball. You've worked with softball. Like, like you worked, you were just in Athens talking to the Georgia football team. You worked with the Dallas Cowboys for a number of years. In your yeah. in your studies with this, have you learned through doing these assessments that leadership can be taught and it can be improved? Because I think that's one thing that I always think about in my head is that like, okay, like people are natural born leaders. You hear that all the time. Is that you either have it or you don't. But pretty much from your guys' assessment, you've learned that you can kind of teach this thing and leadership can be cultivated and it can be improved upon from leaders and also people who are looking to be led. Yeah, anybody can lead. It's just how do you understand and how can you figure out how to be better at the things that are hard for you? Like, and I really try and give more specifics with that. If I'm a type A iron fist leader, whether I'm wired that way or that's what my nurturing and my mentors taught me. Well, we live in a world today. It's, it's not the 1940s, 50s, 60s anymore, right? How can I be more nurturing? It's hard for me. How do I actually think about it every day and be intentional? If I'm a verbal, vocal, fast, fun, social leader, well, some people could see me as phony. I didn't know that. So I need to be more detailed. Leadership can absolutely be taught, but it's not easy. And, and I'm the first one that just I fight stuff personally every day. And, and our team and you know our, 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 our team members at Profile, we all work at it. We try to apply it internally, but it's just it's easier said than done. But to be really direct with your question. It can absolutely be taught. I really believe that. You know, the Daily Coach. We wrote a column about Vince Lombardi, and when he was the head, when he left Fordham as an assistant to go become an assistant at West Point, he kind of asked himself, "What kind of leader did he want to become?" And he went through this exercise, and he understood that he had a volatile temper. He understood that you know he was quick to fly off the handle, but he also understood that that he could adapt and be changeable within the environment. And so he kind of did your test to himself. And then he became under Earl Blake's direction, a kind of a different leader being around West Point. So what you provide is an assessment to then allow the leader to go back and work on his skills. How has that been received by people, whether it's in football, basketball, or in corporate America, when you give that feedback back to them? That's a great question. It's It's been a challenge over the years because in the world of athletics, what we do is changing culture, meaning they're not used to it. If I go to court, if I go to a Fortune 500 company, well, they've been doing this stuff for 30 years. So when you think about the world of, of athletics, whether it be an NFL head coach or a college head coach or assistant coaches, what happens inside is I've been doing this a long time. I'm pretty successful. Why do I need this? Right. Mm. Some people think that. But once you take it and you feel it and you understand this is an art, not a science, meaning someone really wants to help people or their loyalty is really important to them. Well, what does that mean? That's an art, not a science. And how can you actually understand and empathize and understand the other side? That's when people start to say, well, you know, another layer of maybe this is something that can make us better. And so in the beginning, some leaders just, you know, they, they have these biases where, you know, I call one of them the adrenaline bias. You know, I know you're a Lencioni guy. It's actually in his book, The Advantage. There's a few biases people fight. And one of them is the adrenaline bias. It means we go so fast as coaches or leaders, we don't know how to slow down. And because we got to put out fires with parents or the business office or travel or go recruit or train, we just don't slow down to go, all right, what's what's this person actually need? Huh? I didn't know they were way more analytical than me. I'm so blunt. And I, by the way, I'm hitting a hot button with them. How can I be a little more intentional because I know how talented they are. I need them. How can I move the needle to get them to perform better? It's that's, that's how this stuff works, but it doesn't mean that people don't fight it, especially in the sports world, because it's just, it's newer. Even though we've been around 10 years, it's still newer, especially to the college and professional arena. You know, it's, it's interesting because I'm curious in the fact, like, what does the assessment actually entail? Because I, you don't have to give up yeah. the entire secret sauce and all that. Because I know okay. that's all you guys on your website, profilebehavior.com. But like, how do you guys go about the assessment? Like, how long does it take? And I know you guys have made it easy yeah. for athletes to be able to access this by just texting it to them or emailing it to them. And they can go ahead and take it from there. Yeah, no, the, the, the 
we got into the NFL Combine back in 2014-15. It was the Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota draft. We've been with them ever since. We work as special advisors to like the Dallas Cowboys and, and, and teams like that in the league just to advise them on these things. The reason I lead with that is because it had to be fast. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, basically the, the, the people we know at the league office are like, we're just packed to the gills. How can you actually get in and give this thing with speed? That's what was missing in, in, in the corporate world. There to make sense of assessment land and like what does it do? Our our three assessments. One is disc. A lot of people, you know, if I just said that, people listening, they're gonna go, oh, I've taken disc before. The problem with disc is it gets really watered down. People, it goes so deep, but people do it for a day and they don't work at it and see the results on their computer or phone to where they can reinforce and learn it. So disc is really fast. Then there's then there's a couple in-house assessments. One is called core values and one is called motivations. It's a self-reported index, meaning this isn't like triangles and geometry and math problems. This is, I pick some words most like me and some pick some words least like me. I'm going to take some sentences and I'm going to reorder some sentences from one to 10 that are, you know, this is the most important to me. This is the least important to me. And then I'm going to choose some sentences that matter to me. And that may be around some categories of, you know, helping others, working with others, learning, and basically, they're all wired back to a simple form of delivery to help people understand themselves just a little bit easier, if that makes sense. But a self-reported index yeah. is the formal answer to you. It's not psychometric. It's not some medical assessment. It's just a really cool tool that the individual answered it. There's no way to beat it because there's no right or wrong answer. And it really spits out a cool 30 page report on the individual. And then we teach it to make it even easier. So take us through, cause I took the test and you walked me through my assessment and, uh, Femi, uh, you know, assessment probably will border on him and Justin Fields will be exactly the same. I'm sure. Cause they're in love with one another, but that's beside the point. Here we go. But anyway, I, you took, me, you took me through it. And you break it into four quadrants, and it all relates to the Chicago Bulls. So why don't you share that? Yeah, yeah, I love that you, you took me there. Your, yours was, I mean, you're you're a top ten profile in the system of the thousands we have, Michael. Just so you know, uh, that's that's a dumb joke in my business, guys. So <laughs> sorry, we got we got to smile at Michael. But um, I love yeah, you brought I, that I, in. He's just we saying to that to be it. nice, Femi. <laughs> Femi, I, I got to give him a hard time. Um, think of it like this. Eight billion people in the world. How can we put them? How do we make it easy? Bring them into four categories. That's what DISC is. It's, it's a four quadrant behavioral tool. DISC is four letters, D-I-S-C. Each letter means something. Just make this easy. I'm going to talk about behavior. It's a behavioral tool. It's not a production tool. Meaning if you fall into one of these categories, it doesn't mean you're the next Michael Jordan or the next Patrick Mahomes. That's not what we do. We talk about how people act, what they care about you know, how they're motivated. If let's use the four quadrants, one is D dominant, direct, decisive personalities. They're so good at getting things done. You hear all those D words that lump into that, that letter, but they can be angry and they can get, they can lack empathy because they're so good at doing things. Think about the bulls of the nineties, Michael Jordan. I just said, it's not because he's the best player. Watch his behavior in the last dance. He's, he's overly competitive. The media said to him, you know, are, do you have a gambling problem? He said, no, I've got a competitive, competitiveness problem. The dominant style can be overly competitive. We, so as coaches, we all want these competitive guys. And we, we look at our war room and we see all these, these names. And, and the head coach says to the assistant, well, is he competitive? Does he love football? Does he love basketball? Well, let's, let's go a little further. With the dominant style, Draymond Green's in that, okay? Well, Femi, do you like Draymond Green on, on your team if you're coaching basketball? I mean, the stuff he does on the court, I think he's a really good player. He's smart. He's an excellent yep. defensive player. I think I'd like him on my basketball team. Sure. Do you want five of them? No. Exactly. Why? <laughs> because yeah, it's, exactly. it's, it's a little but, bit too much. <laughs> exactly right. And, 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 and how's your locker room? Who's screening for who? Yeah. Go back to Jordan. Like, we, we tease coaches all the time. Do you want five Jordans? Do five Jordans win, win you know, six championships? Well, there's some coaches that have battled us on that a little bit, which is kind of funny because um, it's five Jordans, right? But 
how's your locker room? Who's, you know, uh, who's taking the last shot, et cetera. That's the dominant style. There's every of the, all four of these styles has a, a, a really a bunch of positives, but they also have growth areas, places that they can have blind spots and struggle. So let's switch to the eye of disc. That's the instinctive, intuitive, uh, inspirational style. Think like salesperson, uh, talk show host, comedian, Jamie Foxx, Chris Rock, Melissa McCarthy, like just walk in a room and light it up and they're fun. And we love that for morale. Their blind spots are social can pull you from work. I don't like spreadsheets and the little minutia detail because I'd rather talk. You see the good in, in, in the areas they can be better. And so Dennis Rodman's your eye. Dennis Rodman needed Vegas. If you watch that segment of, uh, of The Last Dance, you know, Michael Jordan says, you know, this guy's coming to us saying he needs a vacation. He's like, if anybody needs a vacation, I need a vacation. And they let him go for 24 hours. It turns into 72 hours. He comes back, though. The coach is frustrated. The team's frustrated. He still plays like a rock star. It's what he needed. Now, we as, we as leaders don't always like that. So go to the S style, stable, steady, secure soldiers. Now that word soldier says, well, these guys are more followers. No, they're not. These, we have more leaders, CEOs, head coaches in our system with this style because it's actually the highest percentage of mm. people. They do a job. They do it well. Think Scotty Pippen, the calm, cool, never too high, never too low, stoic uh, in demeanor, but they really care. You just can't always see them because they don't have a lot of emotion when, in, in their uh, in there every day. So going back to your point, Femi, about sometimes a lot of people believe leaders are born. Well, it's because somebody's vocal. It's because somebody's direct. It's because somebody's verbal. We think that's a good leader. But, you know, Bill Parcells was probably a dominant style. Was Tony Dungy a dominant style? No, probably not. Probably calm, no. cool, caring, not too. It's a, he won a Super Bowl. And so, but a yeah. lot of our, again, what's inside us as leaders in the business world, in the sports world, we really want people like us. And so the S many times can be missed on how driven they are because they are a little quieter style. Does that make sense? But that's where they have to work really hard about being assertive and being vocal and sometimes being tough because they care about everybody. They want everybody to get along. Um, and you need them. It is the heartbeat of a team. They don't get enough credit. I want S's all day long, but those are their blind spots. And then finally, that fourth category is, is the compliant, calculated, correct style. So if somebody scores high with that C, they're thinkers, they're introverts. Well, why are they quiet? Because they're thinking. They don't want to be wrong, and they are so good at being correct. They are wired to problem or problem solve and fix problems. They love data. They love information. So if you're communicating with that leader every day or that person on your team every day, and you don't give them data and details and facts or let them time, give them time to process, they can struggle. So we, we have a really cool video of Steve Kerr and it's, it's basically him being interviewed saying I was 10 years in the league and I overthought everything. And I eventually just had to say F it because <laughs> I'm playing with Michael Jordan. I know I can't overthink and go home and be self-critical every night. But if you watch how Steve, one of the greatest shooters of all time, trained and was wired, everything was about perfection. You could say Phil Jackson maybe is a C as well because they're just so driven by perfection, but they can really beat themselves up when little things go wrong. They can be critical of themselves. So that's uh, Michael, I appreciate you saying that. And letting me explain that, because I've always liked the Bulls. It resonates with a lot of people. You know, we were, we were all stuck inside in COVID, and that was the only thing on. So. <laughs> we were watching it yeah, like I, it was game seven. I, I think the, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the visualization, the visualization that it brings, it helps clearly identify with that. And as you're going through that, you know, you think of the leaders. I mean, Walsh was – you know, steady and stable. Walsh and Belichick rarely raise their voice. You know, they, they're monotone. Cool. They stay. They're always thinking. You no, know, and Nick Saban, it would be, you know, more of the Parcells type, raise his voice, you know. And so when I was growing up, to me, I gravitated towards the Lombardi, the vocal leader, the 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 Bobby Knights, you know, the guys that were kind of very tough and demanding and over, you could see it coming. And then as I got into pro sports, I kind of then saw the strategist, the, the steady, the stable was probably more, which is 
one of the reasons, one of my biases, why I don't gravitate towards Dan Campbell is because that's kind of not what I think is the right way. But what I've learned through the years is there's not just run white right way. 100%. 100%. And if you had to work, if, if, if you were in the profession and Dan Campbell hired you, like, how do you actually make it work? Well, number one, it's just knowing that's what the assessment does. And, and it's not just a piece of paper, by the way. Yeah. It's a software tool that, like, is on everybody's computer that, you know, gives, you know, videos and points of emphasis of how to do this, make it easy. But then it's like, all right, it's hard for me to, to work with Dan Campbell, thinking about you, Michael, if you had to do it. But if he knew that's that didn't work, the inspirational uh, iron fist didn't work for you, how could he adjust because he hired you for your skill set, your talents? How could he get more out of you knowing that's just not you know how you roll? And um, I think that really is it's, – it's just talking about the uncomfortable but making it positive and fun as well. It allows people to bridge those gaps. So I, I appreciate you saying that. I think the cool thing about this is that it's not just for the leaders. It's also for players as well, because on your website, profilebehavior.com, you have the testimonials section. And I'm not just saying this because I'm a fan of the team, but you talked about how profiling America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, and how kind of this assessment sure. led them to drafting Dak Prescott. Can you kind of expand on that story? Because I think our listeners, because this is a football podcast, I think they would enjoy hearing kind of like how Dallas went about using this assessment to go ahead and end up drafting their franchise quarterback. Sure. And I appreciate that. Mind you, I want to, I want a disclaimer here um, because like what we do is a tool, it's a data point and I don't want to downplay it because I know how powerful it is and how much we believe in it, but the Cowboys and any NFL team, they do such an amazing job with their Intel, with their scouting, with all of the evaluation that goes on. But when it comes time to select, they're looking at every little thing. And that year, Tony Romo's going out. They're looking at where can we get a steal? You know, Russell Wilson was a, was a steal for, you know, there's a great story about how the Seahawks ended up getting him, you know, and obviously he was a steal. Same thing with Dak Prescott. They're kind of one eye open to the quarterback. And I get a phone call from Tom Robinson, who's the director of analytics there. And he works with Will McClay and Stephen Jones and Chris Hall and all those guys that are have been leading that personnel group, that, that front office for a long time. And he says, Let, let's talk about Dak. We're all kind of, we just left the room. Everybody's on the horn about, you know, what can we find out about him? When you look at Dak's assessment, it, it screams instincts and intuition, but also data details and perfection. He's actually a, very different than the 300 plus top quarterback prospects we've had over 10 years um, in, in our system. He's one of the most balanced Everything about him is learning, and that's something we've learned too with quarterbacks is the love of learning is a big deal that we've learned with the top guys. He fit these what are called benchmarks that we'd studied over time. Benchmarks, and by definition in, in profile land, is what are the ideal set of characteristics for a job, for a position, for a salesperson, for a supervisor, for a quarterback, for a point guard, you know, because everybody has subjective, right? We knew what those fits, the, those, the fit was with Dallas and with a lot of NFL teams and what they're looking for. And it was just strong. And so we articulated a lot of that to them saying, if you can get this guy and you believe he has the ability, we think this guy is a rock star in, in profile land. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes how do we even get to that point? Well, we want to see someone's life. They're external, you know, nature, there's nature and nurture. They're nurturing. Anybody's nurturing matters. Teachers, mentors, coaches, uh, education environment. If all of that stuff is good, his production in Mississippi State was obviously good. Um, his behavior, his values, his motivations were really strong. And if you read that article, it's at the bottom of our website. You know, they knew within weeks that this guy's not the third string quarterback, and he just owned the room, and everybody liked him. He's really good with relationships. Um, you know, so anyway, it, it worked out, right? It, it wasn't. Uh, it's it's an art, not a science. But it was a data point that we felt uh, we could speak very strongly on to help them find somebody in a late round. So I think the rest is me, history. What I uh, hear, what I, what what I love about it is that it gives you a blueprint into how to deal with the player. Like this player learns this way, this player learns that way, 
and it kind of eliminates you having to find that out, right? And so how you treat the individual player really says a lot about how you can connect to that player and create a sense of belonging, right? So for me, that's what yeah. that's what I think. It's to me, it's a it's a blueprint into who you are as a leader, but then who you're coaching and who you're leading, which is so important, right? Yeah. And you know, look, Dak worked out. That was great. You know, now people will say, well, they really wanted Paxton Lynch. Well, that happens all the time, right? You know, you get the guy, sure. but when you got the guy, you know who he is, right? You, you know, you get yeah. the guy, you know who it is. And 100%. we confuse evaluations with assessment, right? They might have evaluated Paxton Lynch to be a better player than Dak, but in terms of dealing with Dak, they wanted to find that out. So I think that is why it's so important for coaches to spend time learning who they're coaching, especially in this Gen X era. And i like you to address that, Chad. I know we're running out of time here, but i like you to address that in dealing with this generation of Gen X, how you can help yeah. a coach connect. Oh, I love it. I mean, it's it, the blueprint is the key word. It, it's just knowing if you are, a, if you're a, an offensive coordinator at uh, the university of Georgia and you're very analytical and detailed, but you just signed a, a Jameis Winston, a Baker Mayfield type, who's very extroverted and verbal and actually play a lot more instinct. They actually don't love the playbook. How do you adapt? Because you want them to know the playbook like you know the playbook, but that's not how they've had success. They're more audible, feel, quick decision, uh, which we love that in quarterbacks, but it becomes a blueprint. Going to generations, such a big deal. Awesome book out there called The Remix. I forget the authors that a friend of, of mine, uh, Lamar Pottinger at the NCA, he, he gave that to me as a gift. And it talks about, let's say, go back to DIS and C. Well, there's behavior. But the nurturing of those behaviors was different in different generations, right? And, you know, as an older generation, you didn't grow up with Amazon. You didn't grow up with Netflix. You didn't grow up with things. When you press a button, boom, they happen. Well, what happens with older generations is they get frustrated because the younger generations are used to those things. So now they don't work as hard. They're not as competitive. Well, guess what? They weren't nurtured the way you were nurtured. And so are we going to hold it against them and get pissed? Or are we going to like take a step back and go, all right, a dominant style in 2023 versus 1985, they, they're just different. You're getting the same behavior, but there's still some expectations with a, a newer gener younger generation today. And can we come together and form a partnership and adapt to each other and maybe even teach each other some things to where we can smile and bridge that, you know, I may be frustrated with you, but I never tried to understand you based on your generation. Does that make sense? And so uh, it, it's yeah, a it huge, huge sense, deal. Yeah. yeah, people are trying to figure that out. But I, it's, I pick on the older generation, and I am that. And I used to get mad, yeah. and I used to see it from their side, but I also am like, we got to, both sides have to work at it. And then the coaches have to set the environment up to where they can work at it. And this profile stuff is one of the platforms to bridge it is, is why we believe in it. Yeah. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. The books that you referenced, the remix, it's a uh, Lindsay Pollock looks like is the author of this, Lindsay. the essential guide to managing a multi-generational workforce and the workplace. And I think the, the last thing I'll say on this here, Chad, and it's been awesome having yeah. you on here because I think this is really cool for all of our listeners and our viewers is that I think the crux of what you guys do, it's more so, to inform rather than to eliminate. Because I think oftentimes with assessments, people say, all right, all right, what are the red flags? All right, let's eliminate these guys. And like, all right, here are the guys that we want. This is more of a, all right, this is going to inform you on how to get the most out of everyone versus eliminating guys that don't re meet the thresholds that you might desire. 100%. People, you still, people will still form biases. They'll look at the data and be like, I like that style a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. But what about these other styles that are so talented and you need them? That is informing them to like, all right, I got to do some work here, but at least you know how to work. So I, you know, Femi, I, I love you said that. It's a great point, and that's exactly right. It's it's informing people, and then everybody's got to work at relationships, and we know relationships are hard. People are hard work, and it's just uh, we're so busy. Sometimes it's it's hard to get back to that, but we, we've got to do, it, especially today. 
Yeah, it's, uh, you get so busy you forget to do your job, and that's the hard part, right? <laughs> busy takes away from your job. Tell people, Chad, how they can get in touch with you. Yeah, I mean, uh, profilebehavior.com uh, is our website, and uh, chad at profilebehavior.com is my email address. Feel free to, to reach out to me You know, there. Um, we've got an awesome team, and this thing has evolved You know, a little over a decade of – you know, we started years ago with, um, you know, Purdue basketball and Matt Painter, and it's evolved. Uh, you know, he was our first client, and the Cowboys were early, but it's evolved to working with all types of, uh, you know, professional teams um, as well as college teams. And and they can, you know, we have a lot of stories. We've seen a lot of puzzles. We work with the NCA. We work with even schools like Bob Ritchie's one of the best coaches in the country at Furman. Like small schools, big schools. We do people, and um, it's if they reach out to us, we can explain kind of how all that works because whether you're a corporation or whether you're a, a, a pro- professional or collegiate sports program, um, it, it's a different form of how we can help. And so we can explain that if they reach out. Awesome. And then they can also take the test on the website, correct? Is that Because I'm sure there will be a lot of listeners who are like, oh, actually, I'm curious about myself. I want to take this test. Is that something that they would be able to do? Yeah, they can. We always give a trial or two. So if they just reach out to us, we send them a link and, and boom, they can feel it. And we've got, you know, some um, Andy Drude is our VP of strategy and Emma Monti is our director of, of uh, client relations. This, our, some of our team members will reach out and kind of debrief you and go through that with you. So they're, uh, we, we have a team that to make people again, it goes back to once you take it 15, 20 minutes on a phone, any mobile device. You know, it, you can you can see how you can apply it once you feel it. But I think that's that's a big deal. So I, I appreciate you saying that. No, th- this has been really fun. Yeah, Chad. No, it's great. Is- I took it, Femi, and I took it, and I know, and I got my feedback. And you know, once I got off off the ground after Chad knocked me on my ass, I got back up, and now I'm working at it hard. So I appreciate you, Chad. Really, I do. I loved your profile. You know that you were great. So I appreciate you giving it a shot. And Femi, please reach out. We could, we'd love yes. to do it with you too, man. No, I, I would love to take uh, this test. I'll be emailing you shortly. That that does it for. This interview here, this has been awesome, Chad. We really appreciate it. Once again, Chad Q. Brown, the CEO and founder of Profile, profilebehavior.com is where you can check out the website and see all the great work they do over there. And that concludes our literature and leadership series here this offseason. We'll obviously revamp this again coming up next offseason. We've been really fun. The feedback has been awesome, Michael. This has been a great idea, so we're glad that we did this, and we're glad that we had Chad Brown on this edition of the podcast. That does it for us. We'll talk to you guys coming up on Monday. Thank you to our producer, Elliot Bowman, who's with us on the ones and twos as always. Thank you to DraftKings. Thank you to VEASAN. Thank you to all the listeners and the viewers. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you once again to Chad Q. Brown. Thank you to you, Michael. I'll talk to you on Monday. Thank you.